You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Outside the Box Set Pod, Creative Kale, a spin-off to the Box Set Podcast where I am joined by one guest who tries to make sense of the creative world of work. My name is Howell. Last time I was joined by Michael Myers, who was the um, director of the uh, director of photography for the West Wing, and he taught me a number of things. He taught me that, but mostly that perhaps my feelings of animosity towards the lack of creativity around the world of media come from the fact that I was a theatre person first, that perhaps three years of drama school actually taught me a bunch of skills that others don't get the chance to learn. Um, And uh, it it was him saying that he worked with actors and people who'd worked in the theatre world and they seemed to um, have a a greater uh, uh, articulation, (laughs) a greater palette. It's funny that I can't find the word to describe. Well, anyway, um, that was interesting. I'm still mulling on that Uh, and now I interview Justin Lee Collins a man who presented many programs that I loved and with very much a sense of personality throughout them which is something I've always been fascinated with is uh, how and I wanted to to learn how he managed to make big budget TV shows with such a silly clown like character at the centre and how on earth that's possible with the pressure of time and money and committees of TV executives able to get in the way of that how he was able to go of the trust to do that, I suppose. We spoke about many things. Don't forget, back in the box set pod a couple of weeks ago, he featured. So if you want to hear him talking about Stranger Things, go back. Um, but right now, here's the continuation of that chat into the wider creative universe. By the way, just a quick side thought recorded on my Mac, which is why it sounds dreadful. Uh, I forgot to mention, Justin and I keep referring to this podcast as the Creative Juice Podcast. That's before we found out that there was another Creative Juice Podcast, and then we renamed it Creative Kale, which was also Justin's idea, so he gets blame in both cases. Okay, uh, welcome to the Creative Juice Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh, we've just been discussing things on the on the box set pod podcast. This might be a few weeks later now. Who knows? Uh, we've been talking about um, Stranger Things. Let's talk. The point of this podcast is to get to the bottom of your experience of how things are made and how you think uh, great things are made. How you think people manage to screw up making great things. Okay. The Netflix model, right? So you're a big Netflix fan. Huge Netflix fan. So am I. Have you got Now TV as well? Uh, no, I don't have Now TV. I've just got uh, I've got Apple uh, TV. So am I. Isn't it great? And oh, I love it. Oh. It's 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 the future about now. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And uh, we subscribe to Netflix, and we, for a month, 
we subscribed to Amazon Prime. Because you got a um, free trial, you cheap bastard. Well, I know I am cheap. I am cheap. But we wanted to watch The Jinx, and that's on mm. Amazon Prime. <laughs> and I, we love The Jinx. That's, yeah. a, that's a huge recommendation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we haven't stuck with Amazon Prime, but, uh, you know, it's it's there. We'll go back, potentially. Well, on Now TV, which is six ninety nine a month, you can get Silicon Valley. Have you seen that? I haven't, I haven't even heard of it. It's created by Mike Judge. As okay. Be with some butthead and things Brilliant. like that. But it's, Love it already. Uh, it's live action. It's f- like five, six guys, mainly following one guy who comes up with an, an amazing new idea in Silicon Valley. And it's a satire on Silicon Valley, but it's done very much in the style of... No, it's not in the style of Beavis, Beavis and Bud at all. Forget Beavis and Bud. But the okay. gags... For example, there's one episode where they have this amazing moment where they realize they can take on another business and they go into like a minute or two of exposition where they're going how will this work and they're explaining why this epiphany's happened but meanwhile a guy at the back of the room who realizes it before everyone else who goes he's smoking a massive bong and he goes (laughs) and and it's him who goes are you oh no this is a great opportunity and for the entire two three minutes of them explaining it he has a coughing fit (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> so he's just pointing at him and they're picking up on what he meant but he's coughing so loudly that it's like exactly the same level in the mix as the <laughs> as the exposition and that it's genius like three minutes That's genius. and whenever he manages to get the coughing under control he's about to join in and say something else but he takes another drag on the bong and goes back <laughs> goes back into the cough and That's it's like brilliant scenes like that like they'll do a four minute build up to a like a heist situation That's great. and then someone will trip up and drop the plans for the heist in front of the person they're trying to con okay. it's like constant long setups followed by a massive it. embarrassing failure right. I'm going there it's that's brilliant. brilliant it's brilliant that is genius I'm, I'm plowing through it go there. anyway uh, long way around that is it, it seems to me at the moment that people uh, Netflix and places are realizing that if they throw, if they give some talented people a bunch of money and leave them to it, they'll create yeah. something awesome. Absolutely. And, um, I wonder what your experience of that is, having been in the uh, murky world of TV and things. Yeah, I mean, I think that's when. Well, that's when you get uh, the best stuff. I think mm. when you've, uh, you know, you need to hire the right people. Mm. So obviously the idea needs to be in in place, you know, whether that's a scripted idea or not. Uh, you need to have a really, really strong idea, a brilliant idea. And then you bring in the right people, uh, you know, both on the creative side and on the uh, production side and the technical side. You bring in the right people to do it, the people who know how it should be done, people with a very clear vision of how it should be done and then once all of that is in place the decision makers need to then have the strength of their convictions because obviously they commissioned it in the first place and then just let you go and then my experience is if they can let going right and wrong right and wrong if if they can let you go Mm. uh then then you'll deliver invariably you will deliver uh, on the promise that was made and it's a group decision so you all have to get together you know commissioners and uh 
channel bosses and department bosses, you know, the suits, the, mm. the, the man, the men. Mm. Um, and you all get together, all the creatives, and then you make those decisions and then you go and do it. And if they can allow you, give you the space to go and do it and have the confidence, I think it just comes down to confidence. Once that decision has been made, go and do it. And, you know, I'll see you in six weeks or eight weeks or, you know, however long it takes to to yeah. make the thing, however long you've been given. We've probably both signed contracts in the past that say that we can't discuss company secrets having left and stuff. So let's not mention specifics, yeah. but have you okay. been in the situation where that hasn't happened, where, where that's, that's going to happen in theory, but then you've just been interfered with constantly? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are, yeah, I mean, you know, I can give you examples of uh, yeah, go both it. ends of, 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 of that spectrum, but yeah. also within, more specifically within series, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been that way. Um, you know, I did a, a series, the first thing that springs to mind would be... Um, would be the Bring Back series that I did, yeah. uh, which was a series of of eight films for for Channel Four that we made over the course of about four years. Yeah. Um, we managed to make it should have been uh, uh, more, but these films were incredibly difficult to to pull off. So were what they? could have been? Yeah, is that because you difficult. were genuinely on the fly with a lot of it? Uh, yeah, genuine, genuinely on the fly. I mean, not always in in the in the uh, in the way that you might think, mm. but certainly genuinely on the fly when it came to uh, making it work and delivering and uh, and actually having a a film with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. Um, they were hugely, hugely difficult to pull off, and not just because you know one or two cast members uh, wouldn't agree to take part, or I couldn't find one or two cast members. You know, there was an awful uh, lot more to it mm. than that, and it was really difficult to um, come up with uh, targets, if you like. You know, we would, mm. and that's why we only did. I mean, partly budget because they were really expensive, but the main reason why we only did so few is because they were uh, you know really difficult to decide upon which one we should do and which one could we realistically pull off and how yeah. yeah and how how open do we think uh the casts the cast members of this show or that film or uh you know uh how open might they be to an overweight hairy bristolian running up to them on the street you know um well the so, Mr. T thing stands out as you're talking. M- Mr. T. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know whether he was easy or hard to, to to get, but certainly you and him couldn't really be from more different backgrounds. No, absolutely. I mean, he was, well, he was, we wouldn't have got Mr. T. Um Unless, you know, we paid him a, a, a substantial amount of money. So that's what we had to do with Mr. <laughs> really? T. I was going to say, so, is that what you mean by budget? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, a big a big portion of the budget went on uh, went on <laughs> went on Mr. T because, and this isn't this this isn't sort of a a reveal if you like yeah. because actually in the if you see bring back the A team in the film it got to the point where literally the day before we were flying home I still hadn't managed to uh, get Mr. T or we still hadn't managed to get Mr. T to agree to be involved we tried absolutely everything so in the film in the end we just said okay look you know how much is 
is it going to cost? <laughs> can we just have like, can we have him for an hour in a hotel room? Because of course, George Peppard. How much do you get? For well, an hour? I, I, I can, I can never remember. And I think in the end, I think we had him for probably for about ninety minutes. And I can mm. never remember if it was pounds or dollars, but right. it was, uh, it was something like seventy-five grand, I think. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's huge. It was Jesus just Jesus Christ! Huge. I know. It's insane. Just insane. <laughs> That's like, you know how much do you? How much do you want to pay to be? Yeah. To be yeah. mildly terrified for ninety minutes. <laughs> well, no, I know. But do you know what? He was worth every penny because yeah. Mr. T. And he was just awesome. Yeah. And he was absolutely the best contributor in that film. And yeah. you know, and I got I got face and I got Murdoch and you know what? Yeah. Uh, Colonel Decker threatened to cut me. And that was <laughs> Fantastic. I don't remember if that even made it into the film. But... I don't know. But... No, Lance Legault, sadly no longer with us. You remember Colonel Decker in the 18. Yeah. So Colonel, De- <laughs> we, we invite, I didn't track him down. Uh, I mean, he was of a certain age at the time, but we invited him to the reunion. So he came along yeah. and thought, oh, I'd, you know, I'll, I'll grasp the opportunity to have a chat with the 18's number one nemesis. Like mm-hmm. he was the main guy mm-hmm. chasing them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, throughout those those five seasons, yeah. And he's sitting there. He's about seventy at the time with a baseball cap. And I start asking him questions. And as I'm t- asking him these questions, he takes uh, like a pocket knife out of his pocket, mm. or like a Swiss Army knife, mm. and uh, pulls out the blade and sort of points at me. And I think, <laughs> what on earth is he doing? And then he just said, "I'll never forget it. This is verbatim." <laughs> he said, "Justin." I'll cut you long, deep, and continuously. That's <laughs> <laughs> verbatim. Verbatim. <laughs> Colonel Decker pulled a knife on me and said, Justin, I'll cut you long, deep, and continuously. <laughs> I was terrified. Was, was absolutely terrifying. Was he, is he an eccentric, insane person, I, or was he th- actually I, threatening you? No, he, he wasn't actually threatening me at all. I think he was brilliantly, wonderfully eccentric part. and funny. Right. And I went from terror to, you know, hysterics um, in like, a very that, short space of time. That's the kind of story you hear about, like, Michael Jackson or something, isn't it? Just, like, <laughs> no, yeah. just bizarrely people who've been in some universe that the rest yeah. of us aren't part of for a long yeah, time. No. But I just obviously I wouldn't change that for the world. Like I couldn't wait to get home and start telling people. Continuously uh, is the is the word. Continuously that surprises me. Yeah, if he'd have just if he'd have just gone with uh, I'll cut you long and deep and stop there. Yeah, wouldn't be much of a story. Well, long, deep, and hard or something. But he's gone with he's gone with quite a uh, yeah quite a descriptive uh, yeah, almost corporate word. Yeah, <laughs> but I think maybe in his eyes I was I don't know a deer or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was hilarious, and then My obviously you know, there was a there was a pause. It was you know seemed significant enough at the time. It was probably half a second, and then he laughed, and I burst out laughing, and he put the knife away, and we carried on. It was wonderful. Right. So this, so to, but, to take this back to the beginning, this is yeah. an example that that series is an example of you yeah. literally being given a budget and be and yeah. going and planting your ass in L.A. for a month. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and how often did so it was a separate product it was your production company or it was a separate production company no it wasn't it's actually it, it, there's, it's quite a it's quite a history on that side of things so it started out as one production company and then uh, the executive producer that was at that particular production company left that company and sort of took the brand with him right 
And then with another producer that was brought on to do the A-Team, they started their own company. Mm. And then by the time we did, I think, Bring Back Dallas, which was after the A-Team, they became umbrellaed by a production company called So, which was owned by uh, uh, Graham Norton and his colleague Graham Stewart. So is now part of ITV Studios, but um, I think. Uh, But yes, there's quite a convoluted history with that. But it's a little little company called Zeal started it. Zeal. And they didn't... Uh, Channel 4 then, there, how many phone calls did you get saying how's it going over there? Like generally they left you to it? Well, in the beginning, and this I can tell you exactly how it happened, how it happened in the very beginning. Mm. I was, this was I think 2004, and this was a time where doors were now opening at the channel for mm. me and mm. people were saying uh, what do you want to do and do you fancy doing this and you know that those kind of conversations were were happening and then out of the blue I can I'll remember it vividly because it was it was just it's about two weeks before Christmas mm. and um, I met the executive producer who I became good friends with lovely guy called uh, Simon Tucker and his director uh, a young guy called Robbie and I met them at Channel 4 with my then agent and they pitched to me a one-off televised pilot for Channel 4 called Bring Back Spandau Ballet right and uh, to cut a long story short I was given a dossier on Spandau Ballet now you have to remember (laughs) this is when Spandau Ballet were in litigation and there was like a court thing going on between so there's probably a few dossiers around about a few (laughs) dossiers around this is like years before they decided to reunite and you know tour and all of that stuff so it was bring back Spandau Ballet so this dossier was huge I mean it was it was the size of the old fashioned yellow pages you know pre-internet yellow pages right so I'm boning up on this dossier over my Christmas break only to be told come January forget Spandau Ballet it's never going to happen how about Green Jill (laughs) so so I had to get my head around that Um, looking back now what was brilliant about that first one that we we made in 2004 I think it went out in 05 bring back Green Jill is that none of us had a clue what we were doing none of us had a clue and I remember I'll never forget running up to uh Ziggy Greaves, uh, the actor who played uh, George, uh, his surname escapes me now, I'm so sorry, uh, no, uh, George, uh, from Liverpool, lovely George, oh my goodness, but he played Ziggy, Ziggy Greaves, yeah. and I ran up to him, or we ran up to him, it's, I think it was Waterloo Station, hmm. and he looked petrified, didn't know what was <laughs> happening, uh, George Christopher, I think I'm right in saying, George right. Christopher, aka Ziggy Greaves, we had absolutely no clue how to do it, how to make this work, how to pull it together, but we did it, and it worked, and of course, it went out, and it was a big hit, and then Channel 4 commissioned four off the back of it, um, and we ended up only making three uh we made one uh, for budget reasons we could where there was only the money to do one big one right. and that one big one was the 18 mm. and the other two we thought well we better do a couple that's a bit closer to home mm. with people who might be on paper easier to get yeah. so we did bring back the one hit wonders and bring back the christmas number one yeah uh, which were a couple of bring backs that not many people remember but we yeah. did them yeah. um but the 18 just you know at all the budget and took up all of our time and <laughs> i think I think there was there was kind of a change by the time we got to bring back Dallas the following year because right. of course it gets to the point where now you have 
you have a template now. Uh, so you obviously try and, uh, you know, adopt that same template regardless of whoever it is you're going after or whatever the, mm. uh, the subject is. And I sort of think along the way, almost inevitably, maybe a little bit of magic gets lost. Yeah. Because, of course, when, when your targets become that much bigger. I mean, we did bring back Star Wars, for goodness sake. There's nothing bigger. Mm. So when your targets get bigger and budgets start going up and up and up and up and there's a lot more resting on it, you know, it's not Grange Hill anymore. It's Star Wars or it's <laughs> Star Trek or it's Dallas. Mm. Um, then I'm not talking about interference. I'm not talking about anyone sort of interfering or getting too involved. But the creative process changes of course it does because there's a lot more resting on it and when i look back now bring back grange hill isn't my favorite of the bringbacks mm. i love the a-team and i think probably bring back fame which is mm. the last one we did the last of the eight that's probably the the best film i think we made in that in that series yeah. um but there's something about that magic of that very first one that I couldn't see at the time. Yes. At the time, I was nervous and I was like, what are we doing? What, what, does anybody know what we're doing? <laughs> does anyone know what's going on? And I'll never forget Robbie, the director. I think we were going after Roland, you know, Erkan Mustafa. Yeah. And I can't remember if this is in the film or not because Bring Back Grange, you'll have not watched for years. But I remember Robbie trying to draw me a map of where we thought Roland was going to be. And it was just, it might as well have been hieroglyphs. Mm. It was just... It was nonsensical. And I said, is this... this?" And he said to me, does that make sense? And I said, no, no, I've got no no idea where I was going, what we were doing. And there's something that... There's something magical about that. And that's the... If anything got lost along the way, it was that. Mm, It's the gaps between the the planned stuff that's always the most interesting, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think any kind of... Let me make a comparison now between our lives, which is um, which is ludicrous. That is uh, Rock FM, uh, pop pop music station, despite the name, yeah. based in Preston, Lancashire. Um, yeah, I would call being on Drive Time there uh, yeah. was like doing your first uh, doing the Grange Hill episode. Yeah, and then moving to Breakfast would be like doing the Star Wars one. Sure. Creatively speaking. Absolutely. (laughs) In the sense that on Drive, we were probably given, we probably had one set of notes given to us in three years. As a result, and I do think it's as a result, we had the largest audience share of any Drive Time show in the country. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. I love it. And the way that our thought process went making that show was at the start of the show, Whatever I was, um, whatever took my eye that day would be the direction that we ran in, and it would probably stretch the show. So, uh, Jamie uh, being forced to go and buy a paddling pool, and then um, be be lowered into the paddling pool by TV adventurer Paul Rose could happen in one show. It was thought of on the spot, yeah. and and the key to that was that there was no. The key to that success, I suppose, was the idea that we couldn't fail. There was no... Sure. Uh, no one's going to tell us off. They're leaving us to it. They don't have a That's fucking right. clue what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Let's just, let's just see yeah. how, how much we can just, get away with before absolutely. we're fired. Yeah, now, absolutely. That, as a mentality, is, is brilliant. And then you oh, moved so to... Freeing. You know radio a bit, but you, you moved to breakfast. And yeah. 
all eyes are on you. you of course. You go to bed at 8 o'clock in the evening. You have no light. Oh. You live in constant, horrific jet lag. You have nothing to talk about. But oh, also, do it. the logic do it. there is, you know, you talk in five, six-minute chunks. You... Yeah. You plan everything. Everything every 20 minutes is different. Like, there's a lot of planning. There's a lot of discussion. And there's three or four different layers of bosses who are going to turn up at any point in the week and, yeah, and absolutely. give you notes on what you've done. And you become so inside your own head. Is that, is yeah. that an alarm? Is something going horribly That's wrong? That's why I'm just opening my dishwasher. The cycle's oh, finished. Excellent. It's stopped now. Sorry, dude. Thank God for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just the, the sound of an alarm and you running. I but, know, um, yeah. I, I love, the, I love the idea that if the house was burning down, you'd still carry on listening to I me still, talk about breakfast. You know, breakfast. I, would. You know yeah. I would. Um, so, yeah, and yet you, you, you become... It, it became... It came... It got to the point where if I had an idea in my own head, and I still think like this a little bit in radio, when me yeah. and you work in the same place now, and, and the boss said yeah. to me last week, let's have a meeting about what you do on the show. And it yeah. filled me with dread immediately. It would, yeah, because, it would me. Because it, it screwed me up. And I, and, I, and I go, as soon as I think of an idea now, I can hear the voices of those 12 people ob- yeah. objecting to any idea. Yeah, and you go, totally do you know agree. what? It doesn't matter. The, the thing is, the idea doesn't matter yeah i really don't think if you get the right people I it's totally understand for me what the, you're saying the, can... the stuff i remember of your bring back series was you sitting in a car i don't remember whose house you were sat outside of but you were complaining because your piles were killing you you'd been there for 12 <laughs> hours and it was too hot and yeah. however true or however exaggerated that was it, it was, was completely true i bet it was <laughs> that's the stuff that's what i wanted to watch that was what sure. i was watching so yeah. Um, when things get more important, when the pressure's on uh, yeah. and, and the suits get either more involved or you just put the pressure on yourself, yeah. it's that stuff that gets forgotten about. It's Completely. Uh, and there's the dan- that's the danger, I think. You know, I always struggle. You're, you're saying just then about having that meeting and being asked those questions. They're, they're, uh, I've always struggled with that, and I, I do to this day. And I was, I've had this conversation twice recently Mm. where i've been talking about people asking me what i want to do or what do you plan on doing and those questions alone make my psoriasis flare up (laughs) because i've got nothing and the acid reflux that we've talked about me too i just had a little burp coming up then when you said my psoriasis (laughs) how if i'm asked by by uh, you know anybody in a position of power mm. what do you want to do i'm reaching for the renis in my pocket me too because i've got nothing I, I can't answer that question i have to wing it the, the stuff yeah. that interests me in life is the stuff that happens when people are um slightly on, yeah uh, russell the guy i mentioned earlier to russell goma he's, he's in stella he lives in wales in Pontypridd. he should have been huge but he's always right. lived in the valleys he's been a theater actor and he's a yeah. total sociopath complete yeah. <laughs> weirdo and i love him and i write with him all the time and, and it's Brilliant. never difficult and he's Brilliant. a genius and yeah. one thing that he said to me once about acting in, in, in a farce was you have to have 50 percent of your brain has to be looking after the lines that you've learned but yeah. you have to have half of your brain has to be completely blank and and yeah. open, you know, and, and, that, and that's a good thing. There shouldn't be fear involved with that. You just go in. Uh, that's the that's the joy of it. 
absolutely right and it's so hard to to explain to people when you know people people have earned money and they're putting money into you with this idea justin so i want to know what i'm gonna get and you can't go you're gonna get a blank piece of paper and it's exactly yeah you'll get a blank bit of paper or you might get a side of paper with (laughs) random sentences (laughs) totally random disconnected thoughts that won't make any sense and they barely make sense to you yes that's what you're getting for your money yeah great so you start on sunday brilliant (laughs) (laughs) it's like give me tell me what to do give me a structure and let me disrupt it that's that's yeah. where it's funny to me. Like, You're absolutely right. Are interested? Yeah, there's a, a a company, um, and obviously I won't say who they are. But recently they asked me to go in for a meeting, mm. and uh, they said, "Well, we've got some ideas, and uh, like you know, we want to run a few things past you, and uh, we'll hear your ideas." And already I'm, I start scratching, mm. um, and let's have this meeting. Of course, I went into the meeting, and they didn't have any ideas. And of course, I've got nothing. Yeah. So, like an hour later, we sort of brainstormed something sort of on the spot. And then they got back to me a few weeks later and they said, we really like that idea that you came up with on the spot, but we don't think it will will work. (laughs) So would you like to come back in for another brainstorm anyway? And I said, I said, well why don't you give me that outline first? If you can give me that outline Mm. and it can be an incredibly loose outline. In fact, for me, the looser, the better, but nonetheless, give me an outline Mm. and then just sort of wind me up and then, you know, let me go within that. Um, and that's always been how I work the best. I, I, part of the reason I, at uh, drama school where I studied directing, I got into clowning quite, quite a lot I mean, sure. I've always been into comedy and, and and the clown in the pure clown sense uh, yep. and I always when I watched you I always yeah. thought this guy is a fucking clown absolutely right no I always wondered how how self aware you are did you ever do a clowning class uh, yes I did because actually we made a I am a fully registered clown with my own egg in the clown museum here in london so but this was much later on so uh i'm very much a clown i've always been uh a clown um uh very aware of that fact are you a fan of chaplin and Lauren and Hardy and uh, Chaplin, no Laurel and Hardy, yes. Right, we need to get into this. Chaplin, yeah. I had this discussion with Lee Mack once. He yeah. doesn't like Chaplin either. And a lot of you comedians don't like Chaplin. Well, why don't you uh, like Chaplin? I don't. I don't dislike Chaplin. Too but much I'm not a fan of. It. Um, no, because I'm a big fan of uh, Pathos, so I have, I have no problem with that. Mm. He just, I. Well, who doesn't admire Chaplin mm. or at the very least admire him as a, yeah. as a filmmaker. Yeah. So that's a given. So you look at Chaplin now and it's beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. But when I was a boy, I liked Chaplin and I remember loving him eating his shoe. You know, I thought that was wonderful. Yeah. I don't think like, could I eat my own shoe? I don't mm. think I could do that. It's wonderful. <laughs> but I loved Harold Lloyd, mm. and I loved Laurel and Hardy, and there's something more. I mean, Harold Lloyd was a stuntman, so there was something more thrilling for me yeah. um, about Harold Lloyd, and there was something much more obviously slapsticky about Laurel and Hardy and the relationship between mm. 
the two of them, I I think they were physically funnier yeah. than Chaplin. I think Chaplin was the filmmaker. So there's the distinction that's and that's it for me chaplin didn't make me laugh but i think he was clearly the filmmaker laurel and hardy and harold lloyd made me laugh i think we should call this podcast no world for clowns no world for clowns and i'll explain why because okay because i think when you're talking about the commissioning thing for me if i was if I was uh, in charge of the, 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 the channel that put Justin Lee Collins on, um, yeah. it would be find the uh, straightest format you could. You, I, uh, find, I was going to say Strictly Come Dancing, but then you did the, <laughs> you did the spin-off of that years ago. Didn't I you? did, yeah. Um, Strictly Come Dancing on three. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, fi- uh, Antiques Roadshow yeah. with you put in it. That, that's it. I'd do it. The straight yeah, world um, yeah. with a clear structure that you don't have to worry about because your psoriasis will go through the roof. That's um, right. And it's you disrupting it. And it, that's Absolutely. the stuff that I think when it comes to comedy, that's there's so much mileage in that. And Will Ferrell's realised that. He'll get a straight yeah. situation, straight guy, whatever, and, yeah. and screw it up. But there's not... Yeah. That is so hard to pitch to commissioners. That's yeah, so is. difficult to explain. Yeah, Absolutely, absolutely. And that that pitch, what you said, is exactly the thing that finally, after years of up and down and trying, it's exactly what you just said is what finally opened the doors for me. Right. Absolutely that. Really? Really? Yeah, yeah, completely. Well, I'm a completely. genius. There we go. Uh, you are a genius. You, you are a genius. Yeah. And that was, uh, if you remember the Celebrity Olympics on Channel 4, it was called yes. The Games. yeah. And there was a spin-off show on E4 uh, that was like the games live at Trackside. It was live in the afternoon for the heats. Yeah. And then it followed the main show on Channel 4 live in the evening every night for 10 days. And Channel 4 did it every year for four years. And I did the last two series. Mm. Now, I'd just come from the BBC, mm. where, as you'd mentioned, I did the first companion show for the first series of Strictly Come Dancing. Yeah. Then I did another companion show for another BBC series called Fat Nation. So I did Fat Nation on three. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see then that. I, did, I saw the first one. I saw the, uh, I saw you in the, the Strictly I'm, one. I'm aware of you, the Strictly one. Yeah. 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 And basically what happened is that is uh, the people at the BBC were actually one person at the BBC went, get him off of my screen. Yeah. Just couldn't, <laughs> just couldn't bear me. Couldn't bear me. Yeah. And it was literally one person came down to one person who clearly was a big decision maker mm couldn't bear me and it wasn't it was, wasn't a personal thing at all just saw me on the screen get him off oh god what's yeah that? Well, whose idea was this yeah. so and what i used to hear how and this is <laughs> this is completely true mm-hmm. early days i heard this more times than i care to remember but i would go to a new home or i would start a new job in uh television obviously i'm talking about mm. And somebody at some point would say to me, oh, I hated you. I hated you. <laughs> but now I work yes, with you, yes. I can see what you're doing. No, not just that. We would get called up when we started a new show, a new radio show. We would get yeah. called up and they would say, you are shit. Yeah. They would say it to us. We'd go, hello. Yeah. Uh, and they go, listen, I, ju- I just want to say, you, I've been yeah. listening to Rock FM for 20 years, <laughs> yeah. and I think you're shit, and we're turning off. <laughs> and we'd go, well, thank you. Uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for that. And Great. then they'd ring back two weeks later, and they go, I, d- I really didn't get you at first. We heard that more than yeah. anything. I, d- I did not understand it at first, but now I get it. 
Well, yeah, and I, I think it goes back. To, well, obviously, it's that doing something different, obviously, but also that that sort of clowning thing, and I it's about self awareness. It's, it's, going... it's it's the appearance of stupid. Does the appearance of stupid yeah. actually mean that this person is stupid? <laughs> right? Does he know what he's doing? And yeah. that's and I sort of still joke about that now. Like I joke about not knowing what I'm doing. Yeah. But of course, I know it doesn't mean it's going to work. Yeah. But you know, I'm still trying, and I'm still taking chances, but. I know what I'm doing. But that's so difficult to get across to bosses if they don't get you. If yeah, they completely. don't get it, you, you can't, because the, you know what they won't do? They won't say to you, do you know what you're doing? They will just give you notes and advice. Yeah. That, that you, as you're hearing this advice, yeah. <laughs> you know, we were t- we've been told things before, you know, just really simple stuff like, mm. yeah. now, one thing that you should do is say the station name at the beginning of the link. <laughs> and we would walk out and the number of times we would walk out of a meeting and go, how yeah. fucking stupid do they think we are? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> how do you begin to deal with that situation? Yeah. <laughs> of course I know what I'm doing. It's all of that. There's a, I know. There's a thing I still do it now. I felt I was doing it at work, you know, where we worked together. I was doing yeah. it the other day. Yeah. I uh, I was applauding the time, and I've been doing that for years. <laughs> it's that old radio thing of you know, yeah. say the time, do the time. Yeah, and I think yeah. the other day it was seven minutes past three, and I start applauding the time. <laughs> and I remember years ago on XFM. Mm. Do you remember lovely Kevin Greening? Yeah. Who's sadly no longer with us? Yeah. Former Radio One breakfast yeah, yeah. show presenter yeah. uh, from Bristol. Lovely, lovely man. Sadly no longer with us. Kevin Smart. Greening, yeah. and he worked. He used to follow me at XFM for a period. Mm. And when I first started there, he came in one day and he said to me, "He said I've been listening to you." And he said, "He said at first I was thinking, why is he clapping the time?" <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "But." <laughs> and he said, he said, but now he said, I get it. He said, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I mean, people don't, uh, it's not us that's the stupid one, is it? That's the well, problem. You have to go, I mean, surely you did, how long did you spend wondering if, what did you think of me? Did you think I was actually insane because I'm yeah, clapping the time? Like, I really love time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? My God! But you can, you know, you can explain it, and it's just, and it's, it's. I mean, I've always. This is my thing. Is I've always said there's nothing to explain. Hmm. There's nothing to explain. So, uh, people, if if ever anyone has said to me like I don't get it, hmm. or I, I always say there's nothing to get. Forget about getting it. Yes. Like there's there's no point that you are missing. No. This is just it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I, I'm not making choices. I'm making choices. They might be in the moment, mm. but I'm choosing to applaud seven minutes past three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and when you meet someone, when you have someone, and this is the situation we very much got to a few years ago, really, and it didn't change, yeah. is that when you get to a point where you sit and listen to that back with a boss, and the boss doesn't crack a smile yeah. uh, and looks at you and says... Um, why are you tell me what your answer would be why are you applauding the time uh, what literally what my answer would be yeah I just thought it was a lovely time that would be my answer and that would be my exact answer if, and if I was calling for a meeting smile and he just shakes his head at you yeah don't do that then I would probably say you might have a point I should have clapped 309 <laughs> 
That's what I would say. But I wouldn't be able to ever give him the answer that he was looking for. And that's the point. I'd never be able to give him the answer. Which is why, not that I was ever asked, but going back to Strictly, this particular person at the BBC wasn't even asking me the question. She was just get him off. Get him off. And then I found like-minded individuals at Channel 4, and God love them, and I'm eternally grateful, just went, yeah, we'll have him. He can stay here for a bit. Yeah, that's it. And that's the difference. Yeah. Because you're never going to find the answers. No. Because, no. again, my opinion is there aren't any. There no. aren't any. I'm only posing questions, Howell. <laughs> exactly. That's what you do. And the, and the, and the, and the process is... The process is built to weed out silliness. Once you get yeah, a committee absolutely. of people, especially at the BBC, there's so yeah. much, so much, you know, and there's reasons for this, but there, there's so many levels and there's so much committee that goes into something. How are yeah. you ever going to end up with something that's silly? Because it's not given a value. There's just no... no look at how, right. how could they get rid of shooting stars, for example? I know. You know? I know. Keep, I know. Keeping how much shit compared to that? And so I anything know. that has a value that appears to be silly, is just yeah. so difficult to defend. You need someone who who can take that risk and who's, yeah. who's, who's on the... Yeah, and that's why I'm a big fan of, particularly at the moment, where there's still a lot of creatives out there, a lot of creative people out there yeah. uh, who, you know, we're looking for gaps in the market and they see different things and there's people still willing to take that risk yeah. and say, OK, uh, we've got this idea mm. and we've got the backing and maybe we've got you know the money or a certain amount of money mm. to put into this idea but we don't quite know exactly how it's going to work but we want it to work and we want to do this Brilliant. so that's where hopefully i come in yeah and they'll go right you sit there and you know there's the mic or there's the camera and you just you know do what you do don't swear but just do what you do yeah i mean if if your life hadn't been slightly fucked up over the last couple of years you yeah. should have presented top gear it should have been you in that well scene. i couldn't well do you know what i couldn't have i couldn't have done it because you can't I, I drive because <laughs> i can't drive me, me and I, i've got too many points on my license yeah. to host top gear. but me and alan carr went on it as yeah, yeah. guests yeah, and uh i didn't particularly enjoy that day i think probably alan yeah. enjoyed it more than i did really? but this is the this is the honest truth mm. and you, you may may not believe it mm. but i'm not qualified to host a show like that and even if you go back let's say if you go back to 2006 2007 mm. i can't imagine that particular job ever of being offered to me but if it had have been i would have said no really yeah i would have said no Why? because i can't do it because past a certain point in my life and this is completely true mm. and this is coming from a man who was a twiglet. I was a 10-foot twiglet yeah. on television and cinema screens, advertising twiglets, I advertised yogurts. <laughs> I did, yeah, I did. Metaphorically. I, no, I was literally a twiglet. I looked like a 10-foot shit, and I'm running into the sea on Brighton Beach, screaming, it. I'm covered in curry, I'm covered in curry, I'm burning up, burning I up, because I'm advertising new curry-flavoured twiglets. Uh, so that was back in about I can't, year 2000, I think that was. Yeah. So... <laughs> there was a time where I took the money jobs. I just mm -hmm. took, you know, the money because, you know, yeah. we wanted to get married and we wanted to buy our first house and all yeah, of that stuff. Yeah. We wanted to live. So there was a time where I took the jobs purely because it was 
earning a living. Mm -hmm. But then it got to a certain point where I never, ever took a job because of the money. And I never took a job from about, I can safely say, from about 2004 onwards, I never took a job that creatively I didn't think I can do this. Mm. I can do this. I I love it. Or there's something I can bring to it. Even when I'll never forget, I was standing in my mum and dad's bedroom at home. Mm. I got the phone call from a then agent to say, uh, they're bringing back come dancing and it's going to be a celebrity, uh, pro celebrity version. They're going to call it strictly come dancing. It's going to be live. And they want you to host the companion show. They'd like you to go to London and have a meeting. And I burst out laughing. And I stood there and I laughed my ass off. <laughs> but here's the thing. When I was a little boy, my mum would tell you, one of my favourite television programmes was Come Dancing. Mm. Mm. I've never danced. I don't know why I loved it. But I loved it with all of my heart. Mm. And I thought I could do that. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do it. Yeah. And probably from that point on... Uh, it's always been first and foremost a creative decision. That's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to. That's where I've got to as well, which is why I'm sat at home on the couch most of the week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude! Hey, there's nothing wrong with homes under the hammer. Well, no, time. no, it's not on. It's not on. I'm, doing, I'm a massive I'm doing fan things. of a place in the sun. <laughs> uh, now, you see, there's another example. I want to see you host a place in the sun. Oh, I'd love to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I jump at that. Oh, my heart. There's it's a, my favourite programme. I think there's a place for a new travel programme. You know, uh, um, the old Judith Chalmers thing, the proper holiday programme. Well, see, I watch A Place in the Sun. I love it. I really love it. It's, mm. it's one of my favourite programmes. I think Jasmine Harmon, who's one of the uh, yeah. presenters on it, yeah. is fantastic. If I was going to Tenerife and I wanted to buy a flat, <laughs> I want Jasmine yeah. there. I want Jasmine with me. Exactly. Right? <laughs> now, I love it, but... There are some presenters on The Place in the Sun and they always intro it with, well, oh, I've been developing property for 12 years. And I think, well, have you? Really? Yes. But it's sort of, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter no, no, really, no, does no, it? No. Well, this it's is what I mean so about Top Gear. Is, 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 I almost think that the more structure that's around you, the more yeah. creative opportunity you've got to screw it up. And if you're not bothered about the money, I'm not saying take the job for the money. I'm saying take the job because instead of that new series of Top Gear came back and they were doing the same old Top Gear with different presenters, yeah. it was like, no, that first episode of the new series of Top Gear should yeah. have been one hour real time of you in a car with a dashboard cam yeah. trying to drive the wrong way on the road in uh, from France to Luxembourg. Well, or, you know... see. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, people, you know, there, there was an awful lot of stories about. Uh, uh, well, now the the new ex-host uh, yeah. Chris Evans yeah. throwing up. Apparently, kept throwing up in the car. Wow! And now that was that was used as like a, a, a stick to beat him. Boy, oh, he's not a speed freak. He keeps throwing up. Yeah. Now, if I was ever asked to host <laughs> Top Gear, yes. I would only say yes if, if they, they let showed, me throw up. Yeah, and if they showed if they, that. If they showed it, if they let me say, look, I drive a Honda Civic, I know nothing about cars, and if you put me in that Maserati, I'm going to blow chunks. It's going to happen. How could that have been criticised? I know. It's just, I don't, 
It I don't was, understand. This is what I mean. Like, it's the most stupid decision ever. And the weight of the pressure of the money, again, made them yeah. go for something that would fail. Like, don't do that. Do the exact opposite. Exactly fuck right. Fuck it up it, more than it, anybody could fuck it up. And then yeah, you instantly exactly. level the expectations. Yeah, and you can absolutely. build it up again. Yeah, why do you have to pretend to be something yeah. that you're not? It's just mad. And, and that can only come through, and through uh, you know, the level of pressure that's on it and all of that. Yeah. Anyway, listen, we've gone on so long. We've gone on half an hour pleasure. longer than you uh, put aside. It's been a pleasure. Huh? Yeah, it has been a pleasure. Anytime, and, um, brother. Let's, uh, let's get you back on uh, the box set pod. And, um, yeah, I'd love to do that, things. mate. That would be fantastic. Because mm. I could talk to you all day. You're such a lovely man. I know. We should do more of this. It's good. Well, yeah, let's do it, more Yeah, but of you this. give the impression that... Uh, we will do more of this. I'm aware that you would promise this to anybody. But no, I, but I mean, I, I wouldn't promise it if I didn't mean it. Um, yeah, well, uh, yeah, let's do more because it's just been an absolute joy. Yeah. I could talk, you know, Stranger Things like we did on the oh, other podcast yeah, or yeah. throwing up in Maseratis on this podcast. I could talk about that stuff all day long. I just, uh, do you know what? I love great, it. Do you know what? I've just realised maybe this podcast should should take a turn, right? Instead yeah. of it being me interview, you know, I'll interview a few creative people, but then it should just be every episode is me and you coming up with a new program idea. Yeah. And we keep doing it until someone gives us 20 million pounds to, oh. to do it. You know, until we come up with the perfect... Yeah, the perfect sort of uh, format <laughs> that we can sell around the world and then retire. Yeah, that hopefully no one will nick. But, um, Howell, I, I would just like to say, though, mm. that um, I love that you're doing this. Thanks. And this is the wonderful thing about... Uh, podcasts at the moment yeah. uh, more of this more of this because this is where in my opinion most of the creative stuff is happening mm. it's it's people that are just people that have got the gumption and the inclination and the desire and the will just to do it themselves yeah. and that's what you're doing because in this case you're the man you're the creative and you're the suit this is and, true uh, no, God I think love you, you also it. have to be not under contract with anybody to have these conversations. That helps, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, that yeah, helps. Yeah, that does, that does help. That does help. It could be called the honest dustbin. Sorry that. <laughs> oh, I love that. Let's do the honest dustbin. I love it. Right. Brilliant. Thanks, Justin. Thank you, my brother. Anytime. Wait there. I'm going to tell you a secret idea. Hang on. Sweet. So thank you very much to Justin Lee Collins. Again, uh, find groups of people who trust you and work with them seems to be the key, which is what Mike Myers said last week. Mike Myers, sorry, said last week. Um, it, it's, it gets more and more interesting that it's about the team of people that you manage to, to find. But also that Justin felt like when the pressure got big, the quality went down, which I think is also true. Even he, with his uh, larger-than-life personality, struggled to keep the moments of magic. So if you want moments of magic, you must keep the talent in the right balance between um, not feeling the pressure and wanting to get the job done. Uh, that's interesting to me as well. Who will be on the, the next spin-off? We'll find out next time there's a spin-off. Thank you for listening.